Lucky you. 36 you pistols and golf. Alternate Shots Podcast. Barney's Army. Where we talk about Sandy. golf. Poker. James Bond. Horse racing. Double. Classic movies. Zenyatta. We have no script. Down the stretch they come. We are glad you joined us. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. <laughs> How lucky are we to have the Christie boys on the podcast? Bobby Christie on my left and Neil Christie on my right. You have so many memories at Wingfoot Golf Club growing up, not living far from the club. Your mom and your sister champions. Your dad was a pretty good player, I recall, a gentleman. Well, Craig Wood uh, was an amazing golfer, and he was probably the quietest man I ever met. And Neil and I certainly weren't the quietest kids he'd ever met because his locker was on the same row with uh, our dad. And we camped in that locker daily. So every time he wanted to put on his shoes, he had us scampering around to see Craig Wood, Claude Harmon, Tommy Armour, his brother Sandy Armour in the grill room, having quiet lunches together and separately with any member who wanted to sit down and talk. So that was the magic of, of Wingfoot uh, that I don't think is capturable in today's world, but it was a wonder back in those days. The fact that you had just regular old major winners sitting in the, in the <laughs> grill room. That's right. You see pictures on the wall of Billy Casper and and uh, the other the other guys who have won tournaments at Wingfoot, uh, but they never sit there. Uh, you just saw these guys who were absolute marvels in their time and how they played the game of golf, and uh, just sitting there, you know, not paying attention to anybody else and nobody paying attention to them. Well, he was an excellent player, but I mean, if I had to compare him to somebody, he was like the Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> of his time, he was one strong, you know, man. Uh, he was he was big and powerful, one of the longest drivers on tour in his time. He was something to watch. He'd walk up on the first tee with his big cigar, and I don't even know that he ever took, I don't think he ever hit a ball. And uh, he just put the tee in the ground and let it rip. What's different back then is Craig Wood and Tommy Armour and his brother Sandy chose to live in Larchmont, New York, and play golf at Wingfoot. And that's where they were going to spend their summers. I don't, it wasn't, I don't think he uh, really gave a damn about ever giving a lesson to anybody. Uh, at least I never heard of anybody who took a lesson from him, you know, being a lifetime member and the club, letting him do what he wanted to do. And that was one of the, the beauties of Wingfoot. You know, that a Tommy Armour and, and a Craig Wood could be at Wingfoot doing whatever they wanted, and the members were happier than hell. The king called Tommy Armour. Which king, by the way? You got the king of Morocco calling Tommy Armour. And he said to Mr. Armour, or as he would have said, Monsieur Armour, uh, I'd like you to come to Morocco and teach me how to play golf. And Tommy Armour declined and uh, said, the guy you need is Claude Harmon. And that's how Claude got that job. Well, it was a great referral until there was a, the, the generals of the army under the king revolted when Claude was there. And he got the bejesus beat out of him. 
the revolt was put down, but Claude Harmon came back. I mean, he had nothing. He was black and blue from his ankles to his chest. Oh, I so mean, he was roughed up. Getting beat up with rifle butts. So when you think that when the King of Morocco calls that you, boy, man, this is, this is payday. Well, it's not always payday. You know, I look at that picture and I, I this is sort of off base, but what kind of pro shop was there back then? Because these guys are all wearing shirts and ties. It's hard to imagine a pro shop. Uh, Claude Harmon and every other pro, uh, at least on the weekend, wore shirts and ties. Yeah. And played in shirts and ties. Uh, and were always, I mean, Claude was an immaculate dresser, as they all were. Uh, the pro shop was tiny. The office was on the left, just past where the caddy shack is. And uh, the desk was right there. And uh, the whole left side of the pro shop was sets of clubs. Had a few racks of shirts and stuff and bags, but I mean, nothing. Mostly equipment. Uh, mostly Hogan. <laughs> Claude was a Hogan guy, so it was almost all Hogan. What type of character was Mo? Yeah. Uh, Mo is a piece of work, and uh, I got to know him pretty well to go to the racetrack, and I, I took him to uh, Belmont a couple of times, and uh, but the fun time was uh, starting at 16. I, I drove him up to uh, Saratoga, and uh, he loved showing me around Saratoga. I'd never been there before. And I just couldn't believe what a great place it was. I got Gene Sarazen. Um, uh, Gene Hayden was the caddy master. And he said, uh, Neil, come out here. I want you to caddy for Gene Sarazen. Really shocked me is how big a follow through he could get. And, it, you know, when I was talking with him during the round, he said, I always tried to hit it with my right side. And sure enough, looking at that video, it, he just turned on the follow through, like you can't believe. He had a huge uh, hip turn on the backswing and it was, you know, extremely graceful and fluid, sort of like Bobby Jones. The first part of his downswing looked like he was coming over the top, but it was right. because he got such a good turn on the backswing. You know, they said the same thing about Sam Snead. We're on the fifth hole east and uh, he hits a drive right down the middle. I'm waiting out at his, at his ball and he drives up and he goes, Neil, uh, how far am I? I said, uh, 160, Mr. Saracen. And he goes, what club should I use? I said, six iron. He goes, give me the seven. I said, okay. So I gave him the seven. The pin was in the uh, left corner, just short of middle. And he, he pounds his seven iron to like a foot away. And I said, great shot. And he hands me back the club and he goes, Neil, you are right, but I like to hit my irons hard. At the end, at the 18th hole, you know, the caddies would get paid out of the window for the Monday outings. And uh, he doubled my caddy fee. Tell us about the Junior Club Championship back in 1966. I noticed, by the way, just as a slight thing, that your name is on the Junior Club Championship board, and so is your nephew, Robbie Christie. But Neil never seemed to make it on that board, huh? And don't think I don't let him forget it. <laughs> <laughs> That's an older brother's job. I played. I beat Bobby Stewart. Okay. 
And uh, I might have played Bill Kuntz, but I, I re remember beating Bobby. I really wanted to do that. Uh, and then we get to the finals with Billy. And uh, Billy Harmon, that is. Billy okay. Harmon. And we start out playing, and, you know, I'm expecting a, you know, a blitzkrieg. So I start out, and I'm just playing par golf, and Billy is just screwing up every single hole. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know what he, I'm looking at Billy, who's, you know, a lifelong friend, and going, you know, what, what's the matter with you? <laughs> and uh, so then we finally finished the 10th hole, and we're walking through, as Claude referred to, those very famous arches between the pro shop and the men's locker room. And I'm seven up. And I'm going, how the hell did I get here? So I'm seven up and I'm thinking, well, you know, just calmly play, non-mistake golf, don't do anything, stay out of your own way. You only got to have two holes and the match is over. Well, I guess Billy had had enough of me <laughs> winning holes because he started out, you know, he's winning holes and I'm not worried. And then he's winning another hole and I'm starting to get worried. And then he's winning and winning and winning. And we get uh, to the 18th hole. East course. East course. And we get to the 18th hole and I'm one up. Holy cow. <laughs> so I am, I am, as Claude used to call it, I'm spewing Con Ed all over the place, choking <laughs> my brains out. And I'm also mad as hell. I said, I, I can't let this match go. And uh, so we both drive in the fairway on 18. And I think we're just a little over Lynchy's Hill, that little rise in the fairway. And uh, I think I go first. Anyway, I'm really strung out. Pins on the left side, very close to that trap. And I pull this whatever iron dead left. And I go, oh, boy, couldn't have hit it in the worst spot. Billy hits it on the green, you know, about 25 feet or so. And as I told Billy later, he said, I didn't beat you. I didn't have that hole. That was your father. Because Claude was famous for having this flop shot. Now, the only way I could have gotten that ball anywhere near the hole on the green and not have it run all the way to the other side was to hit this flop shot. And I just said, well, it's either now or never. And so I hit it to about four feet and somehow made that putt and have the hole with Billy and I won the match. So we shake a shot from the left side. Oh, it was, it was, it was the best shot I probably have hit ever, except for a hole one. So Billy shakes my hand and he's so pissed off. He walks off the front of the green all the way around the 18th green circles in and he's in talking to Mo and he's so mad <laughs> and uh, <laughs> Claude always had a had a uh, he had a saying he had a million of them but he had one saying that was always true in match play he'd say just because he said goodbye doesn't mean he's gone and that was Billy Harmon that day he'd he'd said goodbye but he sure as hell wasn't gone what did Claude tell Billy the night before the match? Claude told us the next day in the pro shop that um, 
He had warned Billy, don't take Bobby Christie lightly. Billy, Billy would say, and it wasn't a hundred rounds. He'd say, out of a thousand rounds I've played with Bob Christie, he'd go, my record is 998 to two. <laughs> and then he'd say, but the two were in the club championship and in the regular club championship. What was the one tip, the one lesson Claude gave you that now 50 years later has still impacted you and, and both of you can play at a great level and shoot 70s when you tee it up. What was that lesson that Claude gave you that you remember even this many decades ago? He wanted to see a, a good shoulder turn and a, you know, a full backswing. Um, now, what I say about Claude is he taught by exaggeration. Uh, so if I was taking it outside, he'd say, you got to take it inside. And a lot of times he would he would teach the backswing by telling you how to follow through, you know, follow through high, and uh, you know that would help you kind of take a full swing and and finish high. Ben Hogan said, "The flatter my swing gets, the fatter my wallet gets." So he he'd have these funny little sayings, you know. And I, I watched him teach my mother a bunch of times, and he would try to teach uh, mom the, uh, the hip move and he'd have her slamming car doors shut with her hip <laughs> and having, uh, having her hit the, the tire he had on the, on the range, you know, yeah. and she's there over whacking the tire with a six iron or something. Claude was unbelievable. Like, you know, teaching Bobby that flop shot, you know, he taught us all that. They say Tiger and Rory have great short games. Would you put Claude Harmon's short game up against those two today? Uh, back then, yes. Yeah, his, his short game could have been the best of all time. You know, there's a story where um, Gary Player's son's in the practice bunker at Wingfoot, and uh, Claude walks over to give him a couple of tips, and uh, Gary Player's son goes, uh, thank, thank you, sir. But you know, my father's the best bunker player, one of the best best bunker players in the world, and you know he's given me tips. And Claude said, "Who do you think taught him?" And walked away. <laughs> <laughs> the tip that sticks with me the most is is Claude. He was absolutely a, a, a spectacular teacher, and he said. As he'd quote Ben Hogan all the time, he'd said, the answers are in the dirt. You got to learn what your swing does when you're practicing and what it does when you're playing. He said, when you're practicing, always aim at something. God is saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Okay, so um, Bobby, um, thank you very much for sharing, and Neil, for sharing those great tips. We'll all remember those long ago tips from Claude Harmon and try to incorporate them in our game today because they're still relevant today, but relevant Sounds today. Like Billy Harmon's going to remember them forever also. Yeah. Flop shot. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see if Billy Harmon has a response. Maybe he'll come on the podcast, Billy. What do you think? We'll invite Billy right now. Billy, anytime you want to come on the podcast, you've got take a few shots back. Take a few bow <laughs> shots back. You can concentrate um, on the back eight. And you could tell the whole story about the 998. Well, first I gotta, I gotta start off by saying Tommy Armour was one of the unique characters in the world. 
He was blind in one eye uh, from mustard gas in World War I. He was a renowned boxer and he was a uh, concert violinist or concert quality violinist. Tommy would be, was great at telling stories. So he'd be telling a story about the British Open in 1923. And he said, well, well, we were at Royal Birkdale on the third hole and Sandy would immediately interrupt him. He said, Tommy, Tommy. It wasn't Royal Burke there, it was tuned. It wasn't the second round. Anyway, it would go back and forth like that for the whole time they were sitting there. They would never agree on anything. But anyway, Tommy was as acerbic as it could be and a great sense of humor. So he somehow benights me with going out with him and his cart on an August hot morning and we're going to play 10 holes. And Tommy hit some shots, but he didn't really, he was getting on and it wasn't easy. Uh, so he would had a, his front bucket was, had must've had a hundred Tommy Emmer golf balls in it. So he'd tell me each hole, he said, where are you going to, where are you setting up? You know, like on one East, he'd say, to, you know, I'd go and I'd tee up and he said, no, nay, 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 nope, nope. That's stupid. And he'd call me every name in the book. He said, you tee up here because you don't want to go in that trap on the left and you don't want to have the out of bounds in play. Well, it would go on like that every hole. And he'd throw a ball down and say, hit this one and hit this with a fade, hit this with a hook. And uh, I got my golf shoes of all, collected all this stuff. And I'm off to the side of the green and uh, on the fringe. And I take a golf tee and I start cleaning my the grass out of my cleats. And he exploded on me. He said, what, what, what kind of jerk are you? He said, you don't do that on, on hallowed ground. He said, you go on the rough and you do it. But Tommy was uh, just a lovable guy and uh, uh, a, a gentleman that, that to think you'd find at Wingfoot just camping out his later years uh, was, uh, was something that made Wingfoot uh, impossible to duplicate. Uh, We're better than Wingfoot to hang out. Claude Harmon named his, his after Butch, he named Craig Wood Harmon after obviously Craig Wood. Yeah. That's how much Claude thought of Craig. You know, they all had ties in one way or another back to the pros in those days, back to Seminole where Claude was a head pro. And uh, what most people don't remember is when Claude won the Masters, he was driving up with six kids from Seminole to Mamaroneck and to Wingfoot and uh, stopped off at Augusta and won the tournament. So everybody thought that was amazing. But Claude, back in those days at Seminole, were all these corporation presidents and everything, and they'd fly people in to play him. He made more money playing golf at Seminole, playing whoever these guys would bring in to play him, would keep the money. If you sure. want, and, uh, Seminole's loaded with bunkers too. So, oh yeah, <laughs> plenty of place to put out. the money. <laughs> yeah, yeah oh, Claude where the money was. Imagine that, get Billy getting in your car in Jupiter, Florida, packing up whatever big station wagon or big Cadillac he probably had back then, shoving everybody in there, and everybody's got a seat. Keep quiet. We'll get there soon, and you're driving to Augusta. Yeah, it'd be more than 
We're going to just stop here for a couple of days so Daddy plays a couple rounds of golf. <laughs> well, Mike Brady was, was only the pro for a very short period of time. And I don't know how old he was when he became pro, but uh, he definitely somehow had an affinity or a familiarity with Craig. And Craig was at that point in his career where he wanted a, a place to land after his playing career. And, you know, these guys are all very tight. It's, uh, the Nobody knows this, but Claude's brother-in-law was the head pro of Quaker Ridge. And most people don't know that Claude also had a brother, Charlie, who was an assistant to Dave Reagan down in Dubstred in Winter Park, Florida. I remember going over to the range the first time at Dubstred and uh, seeing this guy and uh, I'm going, man, you look familiar. And uh, he was a skinny Claude. <laughs> and I, I introduced myself and he said, I'm Charlie Harmon. I said, by any chance, <laughs> and lo and behold, he's, he's Claude's brother, you know, Mike Suchak would show up, you know, especially when the Westchester, uh, or then the Thunderbird had started. But even before that, uh, these guys, when they swung into town, they would, uh, they would come out to Wingfoot and play around a round of golf with, with Claude. And, uh, he would, he would, Give them tips. Dave Marr was there all the time. You know, Ken Venturi. But he had a lot of friends who were members. He probably wanted Claude's job. I remember Claude giving a lesson behind the hedge. Uh, oh, That's Marty Fleckman. Yeah. So he's teaching him. And he tells one of his assistants, who's also watching, go up to Mo and get one of those tireless boxes that they pack drivers in. And he... He lays it out, you know, basically pointing dead right. So he says, now I want you to aim at the green. So the box is aiming, you know, right at the green by quite a bit. And uh, the middle of it is at the golf ball. And he goes, I don't want you to hit that box on the downswing. So he's trying to teach him how to swing inside out. Inside. Yeah, he's coming and, over. Uh, wow. And one hole in particular we played I played with him two days in a row, 11 East, and watched him hit driving forward, both him and Claude, driving forward, and the pin's up front on, on this one day. So it's a really hard, that's the hardest pin placement on the hole, because it's just a little bit of a landing that you can land on. Judge Gag knocks it in three feet, and Claude knocked it in like two feet. And then the next day, it was like a repeat. I said, this is like a carbon copy. What was the club they were hitting into the hole? Forward. 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 Well, they, Claude could hit anything off anything. Uh, <laughs> I, I was playing with Claude and, and the judge uh, one day. And, uh, you know, Neil was talking about Joe being able to hit the driver off the deck. Well, he had to all the time. So we're playing 14 East and Joe just smokes this drive. And as it's in the air, I'm saying, get over the trap, get over the trap. <laughs> and Joe got, he, he bounced up in the air and said, what do you mean that's gonna be way over the trap? <laughs> we, we were just in hysterics. 
but his second shot was a driver. 1972 U.S. Women's Open, right, at Wingfoot, East yeah. Course. Yeah, Judy Rankin uh, comes in second, but so Friday, she shot 300. Um, Saturday, uh, Thursday, she shot 76. Friday, she shot 75. Saturday, she shoots 76 again, and she three-putt five times. And Saturday, Friday, she had several three-putts also, but I didn't, I didn't count them, which, you know, we were near the lead. And so her ball striking was incredible. And she wanted me to read every putt, which I did. And, <laughs> and were the three putts. Judy, I don't, I don't know, you know how to read these putts for you. Uh, you hit the ball basically four feet by the hole. I hit a lag putt. So I, I see it totally different. And, you know, I can give you a read for a lag putt, but do you want me to give you a read for hitting it four feet by? And she goes, no, 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 no. Give me the read for a lag putt. And so she went on, you know, three putting uh, because I'd give her a read and I'd say, you know, if you're going to hit it by, you got to, you know, hit a third of that. Which is 15 east. They all had trouble with that. It was 320 yards from the white tees. Maybe they were playing it more like 300 because they played a little shorter from the, the average tees, right? Yeah. Why was 13. that hole so hard? I know the green was tough. That's the most devious green. It's like a Donald Ross green. It's, you know, like a saucer. And uh, if, if you hit it short of the pin, it, it can, you know, if the pin's in the middle, if you hit it 10 feet short with any, any backspin, it'll, it'll come right back off the green. So, you know, most of the women were in the fairway and uh, it's in a really hard shot. I think that's the hardest green of all 72 to read. I, I, I could get the same putt two days in a row and I'm never right. Judy, I got to ask you this. Uh, how many cups of coffee do you have this morning? <laughs> and she goes, four. I go, four cups of coffee? I said, you're playing in the U.S. Open. You're nervous. You're going to be nervous as hell. You really want to win it. Tomorrow, one or two cups tops. <laughs> And sure enough, the next day she shot 73. But, you know, she was such a nice lady and very generous. She paid me 10% uh, of her winnings. That's so, awesome. Wow. Eight par threes anywhere. The most unique par threes from long shots to short shots. And if you have a short hole like 13 East, I mean, you can, as Claude used to say, it's an easy three and a hard five. <laughs> I always say it's easier to hit it in one than two. <laughs> it absolutely is. So, I, I mean, I'm always by, I love 13 East. Uh, I mean, to have a short shot and so much trouble without water uh, to make a huge number um, is, is marvelous. So I'd go with 13 East. 13 East is my favorite. I love 15. I love 17. What would you say is the most difficult uh, nine? Well, I, I think if the wind's blowing two clubs, uh, the back nine of the east is the hardest. I think it showed uh, Tillinghouse uh, genius 
on that nine. You know, it's only 3,100 yards long from the back tees. I, I don't even think you need a two-club two win. Um, I think relative to you look at the scorecard and you go, oh, man, this is a piece of cake. I'm going to have an absolutely marvelous day playing this nine holes. Then you come in after 18 and you go, what just happened? Exactly. Jeez. You stop thinking for a moment and you're you're gone. Let's say both of you decided to move back to New York for whatever reason, and you're gonna buy a house. You're you're gonna have your pick of all the houses on Wingfoot Golf Club. I'm gonna go to you, Bobby, first. Which one yes. east? Set me up there. That's very nice. One east. One east. Walk to the wouldn't, club. Wouldn't wouldn't care about the price of gas anymore. No, I'd probably move to 10 West. <laughs> Behind three east. Behind three east. You could probably still walk to the clubhouse from there. I, I'd hitch a ride. I'd take the house right to the left of 11 uh, West T down there, next next door to uh, Paulie's house. You know, a guy we never talked about is Fred Corcoran, uh, who started the LPGA and uh, was a tremendous factor in the development of golf. Uh, he was the manager for Sam Snead. So he managed, he managed all kinds of pros and started the women's golf tour. Fred should be remembered as part of Wingfoot lore. He was the Mark McCormick when Mark McCormick wasn't even born. That's he, right. He, I'll tell you one story about Fred. Fred didn't drive. So the, he started the Thunderbird too. So the, the Thunderbird tournament is going to be on. He, the Westchester he, Classic as we know it too. Yep. Yes. And so he comes to me and uh, he said, Bob, I'm going to give you, I'll give you a hundred dollars. And all you have to do is pick me up at seven o'clock, drive me to Westchester and at seven o'clock, take me home. That's it. The rest of the time I had, I had, a, I could walk down the middle of the fairway. I didn't, I didn't have to park anywhere strange. I mean, I, it was like total VIP. Then he'd take me in. And we'd have breakfast, you know, there'd be a big round table and he'd walk in and I mean, there would be at breakfast, Fred, little me, and, you know, Ben Hogan, Sam Sneed, Arnold Palmer, Doug Sanders, you know, all these guys every day, somebody new for breakfast. But Fred Corcoran, uh, you know, he was at that house on 15. There was always a cooler. You're free to go do whatever you wanted to until seven o'clock yeah, at night. I, I, I could watch him. I could stand next to these guys on the range. I could walk down the middle of the fairway. Thank you, Fred Corcoran. That was. Didn't he set you up playing with Bruce Devlin? Or... Oh, that's right. Monday qualifying, my job changed. I had to play with Bruce uh, Devlin and uh, uh, Tony Jacklin. Wow. So Tony Jacklin was the nicest guy in the world. Bruce Devlin was, I mean, he was stone cold quiet. So I'm playing with them and, and they're, uh, we're playing a little match for five bucks. And we get to the, at the end of the 15th hole, I look at Tony Jacklin and I go, you're two down. <laughs> <laughs> now he'd been talking to Bruce Devlin all day long, not really talking to me. And <clears throat> He went, what? I said, you're two down. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll tell you what, that's when I knew that my career was not going to be as a professional golfer. 
because it was like the neon lights went on. I mean, he just, he went three on 16, three on 17. And I mean, I'm making par par. At 18, he hits it about a foot and a half. And I'm thinking, oh, boy, am I going to be an idiot and not give him the putt? And so he looks up at me with the biggest smile on his face, and he just misses the putt. So I don't have to give him five <laughs> But, boy, the lights went on. It was like the band started up. And this guy was, I mean, brush back Reggie Jackson. He was unbelievable. What a lovely, lovely guy. Memories of waking a sleeping dog, Billy. Oh, yeah. Let him lie. Or, or Billy's favorite horse is Zenyatta. 19 out of 20. And tell Bobby how she and, won. And the, and the, and the race uh, she lost, she only lost. If it was a foot longer, she would have won that one. <clears throat> she came from behind from last all the time. All the time. She she basically checked out the field in front of her, picked her spot, and when they came down the stretch, it was like, here she comes again. Some of them were close. Some of them she blew by. Well, they said she was extremely smart. She toyed with the crowd. She'd tap her foot like, you know, she was counting or something like that, bob up and down, say hello to everybody. Magnificent. With all the rounds I played with Claude, we'd start out, his shoes would be untied. And he'd tell me, well, why are your shoes untied? He said, I'll tie him when I'm two down. <laughs> Sometimes it never happened. Uh, Neil, Bobby, this is legendary. This is awesome. We really appreciate you coming on the podcast and telling the stories. We know you have more. We'll figure out another time for round two. But for me, this has just been a joy. Me too. It was great, great talking to you guys. Bob is saying, if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. Thanks for joining Neil us Casper. today. Billy Horner. We really appreciate your Double feedback. Indemnity. And please Arky. subscribe to Two the show Adder. and hit Claude the bell Harmon. icon so you get notified Movie classics. new episodes. Mark Gable. Hit them hard job. and hit them off. That's 36 holes. <laughs>